Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today I'm hosting Dr. Laura Basha. She's the author of The Inward Outlook. Welcome, Laura, to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you, Justine. It's very nice to be here. It's really nice to have you. Um, You say that there is an innate freedom that's available through our willingness to be responsible for creating one's own life experience. I know I just said a whole mouthful, <laughs> but, but, but there is a freedom somehow in being responsible for creating our life experience. What do you mean by that? Yeah, it's a really great question, uh, particularly since mostly when we hear the word responsible, we think of something we should do or something that we sh- we shouldn't have done. So there's a sense of blame or shame involved in that. When I use the word responsible, I'm actually referring to responsibility as a grace that you give yourself. So the willingness to be the source of what's happening in your life, to be responsible for creating the experience that you're having, gives you uh, access to a kind of grounded sense of power where you can look and see, well, what did I do to have this happen? What did I say that that this conversation went that way. It's not that the other person or the other the situation isn't responsible for itself, but for you to get a sense of freedom and a sense of 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 uh, forgiveness, if you will, about any situation is for us to kind of take stock and examine what was our part in what happened. And I go in more depth than that when I talk about the role of thought in the book. But essentially, there's a way to continue to be free from certain constraints by the willingness to be responsible to creating them. So are you saying if we look at our reactions, especially our emotional reactions to things, if we start to to question that uh, in ourselves, especially let's say that we had a conversation with someone and it got heated and then later on you say, oh, I wish I hadn't have said that. So what will we do with that? Now it's out there in the world, so we did it, so now what? Well, I have have a personal example. I mean, honestly, I do my best to live what I'm talking about. So my husband travels a lot. And, you know, um, I'm thinking of one particular time, although there were many times over the years, but there was we had an altercation in the kitchen, and he said something, and you know my reaction was, "How dare you speak to me that way and and then he takes a suitcase and he's on the road for a few days, so he's unavailable. I can't reach him on the phone. he's on an airplane, and I'm left stewing with this frustration. And if I were to call you up and say, can you believe that he said this? And you would agree with me that it was an awful thing to say. So I sat with that for a few hours. And finally, I was like, all right, look, going back to being responsible, what did I say? What did I do that had him react that way? What was going on? And I really looked, started to listen to something a little deeper than my justification of being upset. And what I started to see was there was a moment 
where I had challenged him. I actually don't remember the thing. It might, might have been he didn't feed the dog and he said he was going to feed the dog. And he turned around and snapped at me. And I took that as a justification to snap back. And then we were kind of off and running. But then I looked at that and I thought, what was I doing saying that to him when he's getting ready to leave on a trip? I know how I feel when I'm getting ready to run out the door. It's like, don't even get in the room with me. So, of course, he reacted to that because I w- it was the last thing on his mind and it was something I could have handled. So why did I do that? And then what I saw was I was really upset again that he was leaving town. And rather than just be present to the sadness and the upset of like, you know, honey, I'm really sorry that you're leaving again, or not saying anything, just being with it, kissing him goodbye, because he had to go do the flight stuff. I wasn't straight about it. And I created an upset. Now, it doesn't get him off the hook for what he said, because what he said wasn't really very nice. But all of a sudden, I realized the, the upset was gone for me because I saw that I was cause in it. I picked up the phone. I called him, got his voicemail. He was still flying. I apologized. I acknowledged the point that what I did, and I, and, and I wished him a great day. Now, if I expect him to call back and apologize, my ego's hooked again, and I'm not really authentically So you don't do it for his response. No, no, no. And, it, and oftentimes... There is usually a, a, a mutual response, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So when the more authentic we can be, the more responsible we can be, which means the more authentic we can be, we take judgment out of the space. It gives someone else freedom to actually be authentic. And then you're actually more related with each other. And what I get from this whole example is that there is a, a choice point and yeah. we start to practice slowing ourselves down a a fraction of a second uh, longer so that we might make a different choice. Absolutely. Like, right, he didn't feed the dog or whatever it was, and he's getting ready to leave, and you can feel it kind of coming up in your body, and when you feel that, then you can say, now I have a choice. I can go, what road am I going to take here? Exactly. As soon as we notice that that upset is happening. Now, in this particular example, it was a couple hours before I was willing to let it go because we like to be righteous. Of you know? course. But as soon, the more we practice it, the sooner we see it. And the choice point is a phrase I like to use because as soon as you notice it, you're actually out of that frame of mind. You're in what I call flow. You're in the now. You have access to a higher quality of thought. Actually, the quality of thought that is who you are authentically, it's the integrity of who you say you are. It's the good person that you aspire to be. And so let's talk about food because we can all relate to that. You know, there's a choice point where you go for the ice cream and you think, you know, you shouldn't do it because you're trying to lose weight, but gosh darn it, you're going to go for it. So that's choosing to have the ice cream. So you're not a, you're not a victim to it. We love to be victims. Mm-hmm. hate to say it, but we really love to be victims. That's quite different from, gee, not understanding why, you know, I just ate the ice cream and it disappeared. But if you... if 
we're all masters in our universe. We're all creating our experience. The distinction is, are we consciously masterful or are we unconsciously masterful? Now, when you say we're masters of our universe and creating our experience, you're not saying we are creating our reality. Well, I mean, you could say that, but I like to say our experience of reality because you and I are in this room right now. If someone were to ask you, what's your experience of this conversation, you would have your experience and I would have mine. The reality of it is we're in the same room, but our experience could be quite different. Well, let's say we're in our car, we're sitting at a stoplight, and suddenly somebody rams into the back of our car. Now, that is a reality. That's an, that's yes. an experience. Yes. But now, how we deal with it then, right from there, we, you know, jump out of the car, screaming at the other driver, whatever it is. Yes. How we deal with it yes. then from there is our choice. It's all, everything is choice. It's all choice. Yeah. So, what are we choosing? And how aware are we of what we're choosing? You know, and there's another idea that that you present in your book, and you talk about we should know our value system, like know what it is we truly value. And uh, uh, not too long ago, we did an interview with um, Linda Graham, who did a book called Bouncing Back, and it's about resilience. Mm-hmm. And uh, she has something called your big operating principles. And if we know what they are, what is it that we value? It can be, you talk about, it can be a touchstone. Yes. So in that choice point, if we know that we really value kindness or we value um, joyfulness, if, if these are truly our values, then at that choice point, we could actually say, oh, is this expressing what I truly value in my life? Can you yes. say Well, absolutely. Um, I call it purpose, just distinguishing your purpose in the book. Um, I've been working in uh, corporations with this uh, for a number of years now where I work with people to distinguish their personal purpose so that they articulate the essence of who they are. I have a little practice that I do with them where they can sort of bypass the intellect and come up with the words that are authentic for them, and they're always moving to these to people. So you'll have executives coming up with phrases like, I'm committed that um, all people experience love and harmony, which is not how they're known in the world. But so when you have distinguished uh, an articulation for yourself of what that is. Um, and it's often maybe not even something you would feel comfortable sharing because it's so close to the heart. When you're in a situation like you get rear-ended, if you, and I would say this to, to clients, you know, paste that purpose on the, on the dashboard or paste it on the telephone. So if you see that, you're reminded of the essence of who you are, the authentic self that you are. And it will instantly ground you back to that source point so your automatic sort of personality reaction can dissipate into the authentic response that you would like to be given. And one thing that I'd like to end with, because I I know that this is something that you emphasize in your book, and this is about 
silence and cultivating a quiet mind, which is helpful in all of this choice point and and manifesting a free flowing thinking process and being more in touch with infinite source. Uh, so can you say something about silence and quiet mind? Well, everything we're looking for is in the silence. Everything we're looking for is is in the quietness of mind. And um, I actually, when I finished writing the chapter on the silence last year, uh, it was my birthday and I wanted to go to Muir Woods, which is, um, as you know, a forest of redwoods here in the West Coast. And some of these trees are two, 3,000 years old. So I uh, went, I thought, Wednesday afternoon, who's going to be there? Place was packed. So it took us quite a while to wend our way through the, towards the end of the path where really there was no one. And I, I stood in the quietness of these redwoods, and I, I kind of thought that I had it down about silence. You know, I was pretty good with it. And I'm standing in front of one of these trees, and, I, and the thought occurred to me, what is it like to be still for 3,000 years? And I was asking this of the tree, and out of nowhere, this thunderous silence came, and it was like I became a tuning fork for this. And I don't think I could tolerate it for more than about, maybe it was 90 seconds, maybe it was less. And I had to distract myself, and I thought, wow, you know, we're always at square one. Like, you reach the top of a mountain, you've been going at it for years, and you're just so thrilled, and you finally take a breath, and you look up, and there's the next mountaintop <laughs> that you didn't see three feet below the summit you just got to. And it was so humbling for me because I saw that a lot of what I was looking for in my human relationships, in the things I complained about with the people I loved the most, was not really available except to in, in sort of a larger order of things. And I just, that question was, the question was extraordinary. I mean, I, I, standing still for like 10 minutes is difficult, but so. It really. Yeah. And I, I know. It's a practice. It's a practice. It, it's a practice. And I know that you say in the book, and I know you have expressed this in, to me, uh, you say we must form the habit of listening to what we don't know. Yes. So that's such a profound statement that we're not listening to yabber, 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 all the things that we know, but kind of it goes along with that silence of listening. In oh, absolutely. It is absolutely. And uh, the cover of the book is a, uh, one of my paintings, and it's a painting of the fool. And um, the, as I said before, the reason that painting is on the cover is the fool knows that she doesn't know anything. So she doesn't listen to what she knows. She listens for what she doesn't know and thus becomes the wisest of all. Laura, I want to thank you so much for being part of the New Dimensions Cafe today. Thank you, Justine. It's really a pleasure. I've been speaking to Dr. Laura Basha, and she's the author of The Inward Outlook. 
And if you'd like to know more about our work, you can go to our website, whitebirdrising.com, whitebirdrising.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and I want to thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe and invite you, please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org.